You are listening to Down Home. Episode 7, The Artistry of Blackness. In this episode of Down Home, we talk to Walter Borden about the origins of his acting career and his early days of activism. Welcome to another episode of Down Home. Uh, I'm Jason Jones, and of course, as always, we have Derek Wise. Um, uh, Today is a special day for us um, because we have uh, Walter Borden, who is going to be our guest today. And he's, uh, he's, uh, Walter is an actor, poet, playwright, has been doing stage for many years and has been uh, at, in the beginning of, uh, you know, Nova Scotia's sort of black activism. He was at the forefront of that and uh, he's going to be our guest today. And uh, that's, uh, I hope you enjoyed everyone. So hello, Walter. Hi, everybody, Nova Scotia. <laughs> yes, we're in the house. <laughs> now, I, I just want you, I want to start off with a, a question of what, um, what drew you into acting and what made you choose to make it a career? Well, you know, to tell you the truth, uh, I, I, I wasn't drawn into it. I, 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 it, it just was. I even remember the day that it was. It was in 1953. I was in grade six. It was the Christmas play at Temperate Street School in New Glasgow. And uh, the role that I was to play was a town crier. And it was a Christmas Eve and he was going around uh, ringing his bell to say seven o'clock and all is well, seven o'clock and all is well. And I remember coming out on the stage ready to do my little lines and whatever. And I looked down and I saw my mother, two of my aunts and an uncle sitting there. And while the, the, the words that I had to say and the stuff I had to do, I was doing and saying, another side of my mind went over there and was analyzing what I was saying. Now, it's almost as if I'm, sta- I was, I'm standing there right now. It's, it's that vivid. Wow. There, there's the rest of the room, faces that I didn't know, but I knew these faces and I'm looking at them and what I saw was these people who I saw every day of my life looking at me as if they knew me but didn't know me and my mind is trying to process that and at that one second, I knew that this was what I wanted to do, what I was supposed to do, but even in that little child's mind, the thing that really hit me was how powerful this little thing that I was doing really was. Because if I could take and create that for these people, my mother, my aunts, who saw me every day, 
and take them out of that knowing into this little place of not knowing, but riveted and thinking. I knew it was extremely powerful and that because it was that powerful to do that, it was also very dangerous. Wow. And that I would have to watch out about that danger. Mm -hmm. Then, and that's what I knew I was going to do acting, but never told anybody anything because how could I? This mm -hmm. was totally foreign, like totally foreign and remained that way and just went along with the flow because I was supposed to be a doctor. Oh, wow. And I went to university and took my first year pre-med. I was still going to be a doctor because that was what the community expected of me. And that was mm -hmm. a big thing at that time. And I certainly didn't want to let them down. So I kept presenting them with the grades and the marks and the da 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 so they, they could keep on with their fantasy. While over here, without knowing how I was going to attain this thing, I knew that that was going to be where I had to go. And so what happened was that I was offered a role in a play in university. I got these reviews for it. That was a little reminder that, yeah, you're on the right track. You're on the mm -hmm. right track. Okay. Oh, wow. So then I switched to education, get a teacher's degree, because I had to have something there. Me, mm -hmm. And then just over the years, fell into the hands of certain people in Halifax, uh, Jenny Archibald, uh, uh, Evelyn Garbery, da, 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 who they just took me and molded me in uh, uh, at Pond Playhouse out there in Jollymore and gave me this foundation. Wow. And then the rest developed but developed in conjunction with, because the moment that they got a hold of me, so did the Nova Scotia project, got oh. a hold of me at exactly the same time. So. Wow. Well, I mean, that, that actually plays well into my next question. Um, <clears throat> and uh, as a person of color, uh, what were the challenges did you see uh, in systemic racism? How did that play in your career, like uh, versus like Nova Scotia versus like the United States? Because I imagine you traveled all over the place in different productions, so you must have seen a lot. And uh, oh yeah, being black must have certainly had its challenges. Well, you know, they certainly did, and I was aware of them. But they, you see, once again, this is where the activism came in. Mm -hmm. that nothing that I was confronted with in the artistic side really blew my mind because I was dealing with that every day on the activist side. It was no mm -hmm. different. Whatever impediments were placed in front of someone who was, say, going to go into any other profession, those same impediments were placed in front of me. And because I was dealing with those things on a daily basis on the behalf of others, nothing blew my mind. What it did was 
the work that I was doing, say, with Nova Scotia Project, with, with Quatcha House and all that, strategizing, I could use the same strategy over here in my own life in dealing with what I was running up against in the professional side. But recognizing also at the same time that uh, although it was the same things with which we are confronted today as Black artists, it was even more dynamic then for me, although I didn't think of it in terms of comparisons, because how could I? That was then, this is now. But when I look at it in hindsight, the, the major difference was that as far as I was concerned in Nova Scotia, for many years, I was the only professional black actor, card carrying equity actor, the only one east of Montreal. There mm. was nobody else. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You see? Of course. But I didn't I didn't belabor that on behalf of myself because of what I was doing in Nova Scotia Project. I automatically knew that my job was to change the situation. It'd be mm -hmm. the same as if we were going out and doing how testing on housing or 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 or, 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 or working in with drugs and all that applied over here i had to understand okay there are people out there young people you work with them you know they have this ability they tell you what their dream is now what you have to do is to help create an environment in which that can flourish. So that's why I started uh, paying close attention to such things as I, uh, uh, isolating among my colleagues, my coworkers, people who I'm going to call on in a little while because I need, I'm going to need your help to do something here. Mm -hmm. I can remember very clearly, um, we were doing God's Trombones for the first time in 1983. And it was being done by a, 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 a theater company that we call Quatcha Playhouse. It was our first production. And this is what I mean by strategizing. I knew that I had to use the abilities of these potential young performers. I had to use the abilities that they had first to open a pathway for them, i.e. God's trombones were chosen for one reason. The bulk of the work was on the shoulders of the old preacher automatically I knew that the choir that he had to have was to be built on the choirs as we know them. They, they, they weren't just singers, mm -hmm. they were actors. Mm -hmm. Those choirs interacted. It yeah. drove the story 
of the main actor who was the preacher, but Ooh. it was set in a milieu that was very comfortable to them. So they could act and not even know they were acting. Right. They were concentrating on their singing. But I knew that the acting was automatically going to come out. And so that's what happened. But at that same time in that same year, I just happened to see on television the production Gospel at Colonus. Mm -hmm. And so what became my driving thing was to have that production done at Neptune Theater. But in order to do it, I needed a, the place, the uh, production company behind it, everything from Neptune. I needed to see that there was a black musical director, absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. There was none around. So I just put that back here somewhere. Um, the short and long of it was, that was in 1983, the planning, the, the, all that, getting the, 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 the potential together. That took 15 years. Wow. But nobody knew that's what was going on. So in 1998, everything was in place. Neptune had the artistic director who was 100% behind it, which brought all the facilities of Neptune behind it. They came into contact with Woody, Woody Woods, through other work that we had done. And Woody was the perfect musical director for the piece. And so, Everything was fun. And I can remember the day going there on the first day that we all went on stage. We're getting ready now for our tech week. And I stood down in the audience while the, all the actors are coming in on the stage and you know, all that energy. And I'm just standing there looking and I'm thinking all those years when there was one black actor on that stage, and I'm looking at 36. Wow. Wow. That's Just amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. You've, you've, you've talked about Kawacha House a couple of times now. Yeah. Um, you know, speak to us about uh, the impact that it had on your life. Uh, even speak to us a little bit about Rocky Jones and oh, yeah. the, the setting up of Quachos as well. Well, you see, it, it has to be remembered that Quachos was the youth wing of the Nova Scotia Project. Uh, and the Nova Scotia Project as an entity was uh, like the forerunner of so many things. They... They were the ones who really laid the groundwork for um, drug dependency group, for housing, for all of it. And one wing of it was directed toward youth. Mm -hmm. And so we call that Quacha House and made it an entity then unto itself. But it functioned 
indirect, you know, uh, uh, correlation with the Nova Scotia project because the kids from Quacha House, they took part in everything that took place with Nova Scotia project on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but with, so in Quacha House, as I say, because it was directed to the youth, we could teach them not only and give them the opportunity not only to do their own thing in how they saw it, but bring them into contact with those people who would be the immediate mentors for them. Whether we are talking about, um, you know, um, education programs or after school teaching, we had, uh, you know, we had professors uh, from uh, St. Mary's and come down and tutor these children, these young people. This is a big thing. Mm -hmm. But those young people were taught to have a voice. And I could remember uh, we went one year to uh, a huge conference in Kitchener Waterloo. And that was the first time that we took them as a group, a group of them, and put them in the midst of people like Sololinsky and uh, uh, that type. Mm -hmm and watch them perform. Now, we had told them, instructed them that, number one, when you don't understand something, make no difference who's saying it, you tell them that you don't understand what they're saying. So would they please take it and put it into some form that they, you could understand. If you're gonna be talking to me, at least talk to me so that I can understand. This is what they, and so now uh, here they are in, in, in the midst of these people. These were the top, you know, uh, uh, activists of, what, of, of the day, you know, Timothy mm -hmm. Leary, uh, Sololinsky, you know, these people. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first opening session and uh, they were, the people, the organizers were laying out this agenda because uh, this would be a week-long thing and uh, this was going to take place here and, da, 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 and they were speaking in all this language that, yeah, we understood because we had to deal with it all the time. They didn't. Now was the great test. Were they going to say anything? Well, indeed they did. <laughs> they put up their hands to one and says, you know, I don't know what the F you're talking about. So, <laughs> and the people just like, well, what they did was they adjourned the meeting and went back and redid their scheduling. Right. It was that kind of thing. These, these, these young people, they had reached that stage, you see? Mm -hmm. And they, they, they were going to meetings like this. They were performing at Expo 67. They were, all that. Amazing. Uh, 2020, as you are, you know, it's, it's been a challenging year. Uh. Do you see any parallels between the activism from the 60s and 70s and what's going on, what went on this summer? Oh, yes, and it did my heart good. Been waiting for years for it to see it. Because we were very, very, very aware. And I used to talk 
He was talking regularly before she passed with Joan, Joan Jones about this. And of course, the situation there was that Joan and I would talk because we were the last of the group. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, there are many, you know, who, who came afterward. This is, this is the thing. Um, there's the, the, the group of people that you, who are the spokespeople now, bless them, but they are not the originals. Mm -hmm. They are the ones whom we taught. Mm -hmm. Now, the big thing is that, that bothered Joan and me is that we saw a gap. We saw a gap between the from beginning in the late 70s, right straight through a couple of generations until we hit Black Lives Matter. Really? Okay. Yeah. And we often analyzed what had happened. Well, what had happened was really quite simple. One of the things that we always tried to teach in the group was this. You have to be very aware of how powerful the enemy is. Don't underestimate them. They are as smart or smarter than you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, we already knew beginning in America, for instance, after the Nixonian era. And during it, what was being done to neutralize activism? We saw what had happened with the Panthers. Those were mm -hmm. our friends. Those were people we read about, you know, Stokely sat at our table and discussed, you know? The, the, you know, we had discussions with Harry Belafonte with the, you know, we, th these were our friends. We knew what was going down and we saw when they were being killed, blown away. Watch your enemy. We also tried to teach them that you know, it won't always be so blatant as wiping you out. No, coercion is the even bigger enemy. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. I will give you this. You will interpret it as having made a step forward. I know that it's a piece of cheese on a rat trap. Okay. Mm -hmm. I am now biding my time. I am like the forest fire. You think you have extinguished it? I have gone underground and I will burn for years before I pop back up. We try to teach them, understand that. But we also know that people are people. Um, uh, human conditioning. If I make you believe that you are now safe, that you have made strides, I also know that you're going to start living according to the strides that you think you have made. 
And then you can't get out of it because you have a life that you have to support. And then it becomes, yeah, and I tell you this, every time I'd sit and listen to people talk, I'd, I'd listen to what phrases they would use. And there is no phrase that drives me crazier than we have come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't say that to me. Yeah. I, yeah. When I know you haven't, we haven't come anywhere. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. And, That's very interesting. Um, you know, and these are the reasons we haven't come because these, these other things were being put in place and mm -hmm. suddenly a generation has gone by and that uh, sense of comfort with a tinge of, uh, but, you know, keep, keep uh, uh, a reminding that you're aware that there is stuff to be done. So that's supposed to send a little bit of fear into the enemy that, you know, you're not quite asleep yet. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's now into the next generation, which is now the second removed from the original teaching. And you watch the repercussions and repercussions. And then a catalyst happens. Right. You never know what the catalyst is going to be, is just to tell them. In the 50s, the catalyst was Rosa Parks saying no. Nobody knew that Viola Desmond had said the no 10 years prior. That yes. Yeah. Thing. Timing yeah. is everything. Timing is everything. And so Rosa said it, and suddenly a generation, the generation that has the energy, they suddenly started repeating her no, and the no went right around the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, we go forward a few generations. There was another no, but it was a different no. The no was you're killing me. Mm -hmm. It's the same no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it went around the world. Yeah. Yeah. And you had Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And I say, took that long, but what is time in the universe? That's a blink of an eye as far yeah. as it's concerned. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it will happen at the precise moment it's supposed to happen. Because the universe moves mindless about us. It, it's all summed up into no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Mm -hmm. And 50 years to you might bring you well into your breaking point. But as far as the universe is concerned, it hasn't even blinked an eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. The, um, your parallel about um, the black leaders being taken away from the movements back in the 60s very, is very interesting because uh, one of the... Uh, interesting things about Black Lives Matter is that there, there are no discernible leaders. That's right. Yeah. 
So it's almost as if the movement has learned from the mistakes of the past. Well, not mistakes, but the the happenings of the past. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a really important, important point. Yeah. Because you see, one of the one of the things that has evolved and developed along with, you know, what I could call the the, the, the philosophies and the psychologies of thinking uh, that pervade uh, different movements at different times is this. Uh, we, uh, we fall prey to, to, to instructions, again, from outside, instructions that are dangerous to us. For instance, the, the, the whole movement, one of the movements about, uh, that evolved and you must understand too that the strategies of virtually all movements, whether they be, um, you know, uh, 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 feminist movement, whatever, whatever, all great movements, but they all took their instructions from what was laid, the strategies that were laid out by. Uh, uh, the activists in the 50s and 60s. Right. Everybody yeah. took them. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 you know, I, 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 this, is, this is a flashback to the teachings that we, like, that I referred to as a, watch what your enemy's up to. Watch. Because it, it, they, they would take a strategy. They had their own thing that they wanted to deal with. They would incorporate us so far for numbers, for profile. But then you watch and see who it is benefiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you have to make those very hard decisions about, wait a minute, wait a minute. At the end of the day, no matter what you have hooked yourself into, uh, say some movement, and I'm not saying that the, that movement does not have credibility and necessity, but you have to find out and admit to yourself just where you stand in that movement. Mm-hmm. And when you find that, regardless of what the movement is, it's still strategized according to color. Mm-hmm. According to gender, when you look and you say, oh my God, we're still on the bottom rung. Yeah. And not we're on the bottom rung. Say you're talking about the feminist movement. The bottom rung is the black woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you know, and I can't help it if people get all bent out of shape about it. When you look at it, it is true. Mm-hmm. It was true with the suffragettes. It was true with every movement that has grown out of using the strategies of Black activism to address their particular concern mm-hmm. and utilize us as fodder yeah. to advance their particular thing which I take as a double insult because it's not that I don't understand 
and appreciate what your concern is, mm -hmm. I'm saying, how dare you think, even suggest that I don't have the wisdom to understand how my own strategies are working for you. And you at the same time think that I'm not going to have the brains enough to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And we just yeah. go along with it. Yeah. Yeah. This is why, you know, conversations like this are important. And uh, uh, me and Jay were talking about this a couple of days ago about our motivations for putting this podcast together. And they're much in line with what you're talking about. It's us finding our voice mm -hmm. and uh, putting our voices to this conversation in the way that totally, we see fit. Totally. And not only finding the voice, but recognizing that the voice is not only necessary, but is in fact the voice. Nobody, nobody can erase the fact that I am the authority on who I am. Yes. That's powerful. Yeah. You have to understand that. Mm -hmm. That I yeah. am not and will not define myself according to your rule. Yeah. And awesome. if you say to me that I am on equal footing with you and, and uh, fine, well, number one, you don't even go there with me <laughs> because I say, I'm not elevating myself to anything, but no, I am not on equal footing with you. I possess information that you do not have. I know you. You don't know me because you never had to know me. It wasn't mm -hmm. necessary. Mm -hmm. I had to know me. My ancestors, my parents, my grandparents had to teach me to know me or I would be dead. We call it my survival kit. You don't need one. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's, right. uh, yeah, that's true. It's um, in that, that conversation that... Um, They've 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 put uh, names to it that uh, you know white privilege, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know the this this conversation that I have to have with my son and my daughter about who they are and what their what their role is and how they have to behave in certain situations. Yes, there are there are white kids out there that um, or white parents that do not have to have that. They have the privilege not to have that conversation with their kids. Mm -hmm. That is yeah. what white privilege is. Well, I, exactly. Yeah. And, and just the black history, black families, there's always been an oral history and the way that we passed on the information from generation to generation. And that was another reason why we started this podcast was to know that, know that strength that we did come from, um, you know, and uh, you know, my, my uncle Rocky, uh, and, and Aunt Joan and my great-grandfather, Sidney Jones, they saw all those things. And, and now I am finding myself really sort of tapping into that voice. And I start, I'm starting to hear it now. And because of what is going on in the world today, and just like Derek was saying, he learned the same thing. 
and he is able to pass that that wisdom on to the next generation because that's really you know it started at Kawacha House you kept on teaching the youth so they can provide it to the next generation the next generation and that's how we go grow strong in our absolutely in our community mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and the the utter necessity because this is what we also talk this it is not good enough to just continually regurgitate what i say or what we said first of all before you regurgitate it, you must be absolutely sure that what we said is factual. Mm-hmm. Always do your research. Mm-hmm. I say when I'm talking to young people, don't believe what I say. What you're supposed to do is prove me wrong. Now, that means you have work to do. <laughs> and you might very well prove me wrong. That's all right. Because what I want to tell you is that my whole philosophy is as malleable as anything. It is always searching for a new ingredient to morph it into something. The new ingredient can come from something that you found, you injected into my philosophy. I don't reject it, I accept it and let it mold into yes. something else. That. But what happens is that you, 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 you get a group of people who just repeat regurgitate, you know? Um, And so what the ultimate thing that happens when that is the motivation is that it solidifies. It solidifies, hardens into Mm. something. And that something can contain all kinds of error that will never get changed because you haven't remained malleable and done, kept doing your research, your research. Well, that's uh, uh, very good, very good uh, uh, advice, I'd have to say. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Well, this has been um, a fantastic conversation, Walter. I, I, I thank you very much for uh, coming on and, uh, and, uh, talking with us as as i was saying to you previously you you are a a jewel to our community in nova scotia you you are a precious jewel a precious gem and the words that you've spoken today um we're going to do our best to get out there in the in the uh, airwaves in our podcast and uh yeah thank you very much yes it was uh it was really inspiring to hear just the wisdom and um, the strength that uh, you possess and continue to have. And uh, we're, we were lucky to interview you today. So thank Jay you Jones, much. take us out, take us out. Yes. And uh, so give it up today for Wal- uh, Walter Borden and um, Derek Wise and myself, Jason Jones. Uh, it's been another good episode of uh, 
down home and uh, we look forward to sharing with this with you soon. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The song Breaking New Ground from The Breakdown. On a high plateau, from the one down below to the future of the funk getting lost.